Hey there, welcome to The Honest MD. I'm your host, Kelly, from Hey Kelly Ellen. Tune in every week for solo episodes and conversations with leaders in medicine all about navigating pre-med life, medical school, residency, medical careers, and more. But that's not all. We are all about being honest here. I'm going to be sharing the ups and downs of life both inside and outside of medicine. Because we all know that while we love medicine, it is not our whole life and we are so much more than our careers. So make sure you're ready to learn. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to introduce our guest, Claire, from at It's Claire Jean. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. Of course, of course. Um, If you don't know, I pretty much forced her to be my guest because she's related to me. So it was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you're coming on. I have a podcast, so you don't have a choice. (laughs) Not really, not really. Um, Okay, so obviously I know a lot about you because I've known you since birth, but for the people just listening, just tuning in, if you can give everyone a little bit of a background, a little intro, I hope I'm not giving you flashbacks to the tell me about yourself question um, for interviews, but give everyone a little intro about who you are. Yeah, of course. So hello, my name is Claire. I was a pre-med at UC Berkeley, but I actually studied bioengineering, so I did kind of a non-traditional path to medical school. Um, I'm currently in my gap year, so I'm about to start medical school in the fall, and yeah, I had a lot of experiences that I really loved at UC Berkeley, and I'm so excited to talk about my pre-med journey with you guys. That was perfect, very succinct, and there's so there's going to be a lot that we can cover for sure. Um, I think the first thing that people probably want to know a lot about is your time at UC Berkeley. You mentioned that you did bioengineering, which is not a typical pre-med major. Can you tell everyone a little bit about how you started on that path? Yeah, it's actually really funny. So when I got to UC Berkeley, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to go into medicine. I had had one medical experience in the past that I really loved, and it had me interested in medicine, but I wasn't sure. And I'd always been really good at math. Like math was my topic. So I was like, oh, I like biology. I like math. So I'm going to like do applied math and do pre-med at the same time. So that was my original major when I went to Berkeley. And then I took a class my freshman year that was all bioengineering majors. And it was so fun. And I was I learned all about biological material science, which is like a very niche topic of bioengineering. And I loved it. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to do this because it's everything I need. Like it has the technical component. It has biology. It's like learning more about how to improve medicine and being on the cutting edge. I loved all of that. So, and I didn't want to like have to give that love up just to, you know, have a more traditional path. So I figured I would do both. And I ended up um, majoring, I had to transfer colleges into bioengineering once I got to Berkeley. And then I also did all the pre-med prereqs because I eventually figured out that I wanted to go to medical school as well. 
Okay, so that's that's really cool that you were able to figure that out like early on, but also I imagine that there was probably some stress involved too because you mentioned like you had to like transfer colleges and oh, you want to be pre-med. Like there's a lot to like balance there. Um tell everyone a little bit about like how you how you manage that and also what was like the culture, like the pre-med culture like at Berkeley as well? <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a lot. It's a loaded question. No, so just pre-med culture at Berkeley is always a question I get. And it's really, <laughs> it's fun to answer because I feel like it's not exactly what people expect. Like everyone thinks it's like, I think a lot of people expect pre-med culture at a lot of universities to be very cutthroat and very competitive. And I won't say that it wasn't that. I do think that there was an aspect of that, especially in the first two years when you're taking a lot of the like quote unquote weeder courses where everything is graded on a curve and you feel kind of like a big, a small fish in a big pond sort of feeling. So I definitely experienced that. I will say that being a bioengineering major honestly helped me because I had a smaller major, like it was very small in terms of the number of people in it. So I had like a closer community that I could rely on, which was really nice. And um, yeah, I just had, I had pre-med friends as well that were not competitive and were not super like cutthroat or anything. So we all studied together and like our socializing at the time was, especially during midterm seasons, was like going to a coffee shop and like just working on problems together. And I feel like that is the side of like these big institutions and being pre-med at them that a lot of people don't see. They don't realize that there is a lot of collaboration that happens. Obviously, like I have had experiences with pre-meds that were not so collaborative and I would go to office hours and people would be talking over each other, which was not ideal, but I've also had amazing experiences in office hours. So you're going to get like both situations and you just have to try and put yourself in positions that are going to ultimately end up more on the collaborative side than the competitive side so you'll find people along the road that are like not your cup of tea so you just kind of have to figure out who's going to support you and um, help you get to the finish line and, and like be cheering you on as you guys can cheer each other on you know so. Definitely. No, I I like how you're so positive. <laughs> you brought up like you brought up the like aspects that I feel like sometimes I forget like cuz I just remember a lot of like the the struggle and like the competitiveness, but I do think that out of that you do find you do find like your close friends who actually like want to they they're in it with you and they want to succeed with you and help you and I think you become like so close to these people because like you take all the same classes together and you go through the same traumas together and everything. And like once you actually find people who are willing to be supportive, then it's kind of like the same in medical school, honestly. Like you find like your group of people and you're able to navigate it that way for sure. Um, yeah, so I feel like we definitely had like similar experiences at like big UC schools, but with slight differences because I didn't do like an engineering major or anything like that. Um, so something else that I personally get asked a lot about on my social media, I don't know if, if you get asked this, is 
like what what did you do during your pre-med years that you felt like made you stand out or like were there any activities that you felt like were asked about a lot like during your interview season because people people really they they want to know like how to stand out and like what to do and it's I like you'll find it's just like you you do what you're interested in and that's kind of what makes you stand out but let's hear what you did and what you think made you stand out yeah no that is definitely it obviously I don't know exactly what got me into medical school but I can talk to what I talked about a lot in my interviews I think that's a great way of knowing you know what differentiated me um so I will say, obviously, they're going to ask a lot about your clinical experience. So if you're applying to medical school, it is very important that you have some form of clinical experience. Um, And I think for me, something that stood out about my clinical experiences were that they were for something that was giving back to my own community, since I'm Armenian-American, as you are as well. (laughs) Yeah. I was able to work with underserved Armenians in Armenia um, multiple times. And I think that was also something that was really gratifying for me, eye-opening for me, and also solidified my reason for going into medicine in the first place. So you want to just have experiences that are you're going to be able to talk about to an extent that you never thought you would be able to talk about to for any other subject. Like if you're like so excited about something, like that is going to show with the interviews to like a very enthusiastic extent. And it's going to show that you're like authentic about your experiences and what you devote your time to. Another um, example of something that I really loved in undergrad that I did was I was a teacher for the class that actually got me into bioengineering in the first place. Like I went back and actually helped teach the class because I wanted to give back to something that really impacted my life. Like it completely changed my major. So having experiences that are meaningful to you, meaningful to the communities you're a part of, I think can go a huge and really long way for your application because it just shows that you're investing time in the people and places that have already invested time in you, if that makes sense. Definitely. And I think that like your examples just prove like that no one else could like replicate that and be like, oh, like I'll get to medical school. Like no one else is going to be like, okay, I'm going to like go to Armenia and then like become like a bioengineering TA and like that's my ticket in. Like, no, like the things that you did that you were passionate about showed. And I think like even you explaining it, like as someone who like has kind of seen the admissions like process on the other side. Like when I hear you talk about it, it's clear that you're someone who like goes the extra step and like you didn't just like want to do clinical experience. Like you wanted to do it in a place where you could like give back to your culture. And like you're someone who like wasn't just doing like the bioengineering major. Like you went the extra step and became like the TA for the class that like gave you inspiration and like you're just like showing the admissions committees that you have those skills that you're someone who like is going to take the extra step and is going to like pursue something you're passionate about. And that's really like what they care about, I feel like overall. But yes, very cool activities. And I remember like when you were interviewing for a medical school and you're like, I just talked about Armenia the whole time. Like, is that bad? (laughs) And I was like, no, it's fine. (laughs) Do you remember that? (laughs) I was so concerned about it. I was like, I have no diversity of experience. Like, that's so bad. 
Do you want to win a $50 Amazon gift card? All you have to do to be eligible to win is leave a review of my podcast, The Honest MD, take a screenshot before you hit submit, and then send me the screenshot on my Instagram, heykellyellen, or email me the screenshot at heykellyellen at gmail.com. Good luck! Like, you're just passionate about it, and, like, it showed because, obviously, you are accepted to medical school now. Okay, so we covered – we covered the Berkeley era. We covered like pre-med life. So now I want to talk about the next thing that stresses out every pre-med out there, and that's the MCAT. Oh, yes. <laughs> let's let's start from the beginning. Like let's let's talk about like when when you took it, um, like what you what you did to like figure out what resources to use. Um, and kind of how you planned the beginning stages studying for it. Yeah. So I honestly wish I thought about the MCAT sooner than I did because I didn't realize how fast you had to apply to medical school. If you wanted to go straight through no gap year, like you have to apply, you have to take the MCAT before your junior spring, which was something that I just was not aware of. Like my sophomore year, I wasn't really planning to apply to medical school because it was like it felt so far away so when it came time to start thinking about it my junior year I was like oh okay I know I have to take a gap year now so let me start planning out all of these things that I have to do the MCAT you know applying and all of that so I actually planned to take the MCAT at the end of my junior year summer so that was like the August before I started my senior year So I was going to study for it the whole summer part-time while I was doing a research internship, which was from home because this was during 2020. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Go back. MCAT during the pandemic, which was real fun. Um, So yeah, I decided to do it between my junior and senior year. And um, the plan for me was I I felt very, very compelled to finish every single chapter of the Kaplan books make my own Anki deck and while I was reading the chapters and like study, like do Anki for like a month and a half, do all of that in like a month and a, or maybe two and a half months. I was going to try and start in like May. Um, so like give myself t- around two months to just do content review. And then I was going to switch to all of the practice stuff like UWorld, AAMC, I did do practice question, uh, practice tests during my content review. So I think it was, it wasn't super consistent, but I want to say like once every two to three weeks or maybe even once a week towards the end, I would do a practice test on the weekends um, and then review it the second day. Um, in terms of my study planning and how I planned my content review, I used a website called studyschedule.com com or org i'll have to double check that's okay i think it's dot com um and you basically just put in all the chapters that you want to learn and it'll auto generate like a content review um schedule for you which was really helpful because you can also adjust it so if you didn't do a bunch of chapters that already passed the dates you can move those into the future really easily so i was using that 
And um, I was going very slowly. It was very, it was very difficult for me to focus. You know, I felt like my scores weren't improving on the practice tests I was taking. They were just oscillating. It would go up one week. I would study a lot the next week or it would go down. I would study a lot and then it would like go down more. And I just feel (laughs) deflated after that. It was so demoralizing. Like the process itself at the beginning was just so awful. And I feel like anytime someone's studying for the MCAT I'm just like I feel for you like I know what you're going through it's just such a like time-consuming process and I was also doing research like part-time um which it wasn't as bad because it was all from home so it wasn't like I I was commuting or um doing any of that and I was able to kind of make my own hours which was nice which I would recommend if you can find a job where you can work on your own kind of schedule it's like infinitely better than like go in somewhere for eight hours, nine hours a day, but people can do it on any schedule. Um, So yeah, that was like the beginning stages. And then I started to see a little bit of improvement at the end of my content review phase, but it wasn't until I actually started doing practice questions with UWorld that I actually saw like a pretty big improvement. Um, I did Anki and UWorld for a few weeks um, and I saw like I started to notice patterns and see what was really like high yield. I know people don't like that term sometimes, but you really do start to see like the same kind of diagrams and, and, and tables popping up on UWorld. So you start to memorize them just because they're always there. And then um, you get a lot of that critical reasoning skills from doing practice questions as well. So I would highly recommend to anyone that's trying to study for the MCAT to incorporate practice questions earlier rather than later. But that was just my experience. Um, and then I, so I was planning on taking the MCAT at the end of August, as I mentioned. And then I got a score that was like somewhere very close to my goal score, but it wasn't my goal score. And I only had like three weeks left and I had not done any of the AAMC material. So I, or I had only done the first practice question, practice test. So I decided to push my test back a month to the end of September, which meant I would also have to be doing classes, doing two jobs, and studying for the MCAT during one week. So it was very, like, it was a hard decision to make, and I ultimately decided to do it because I figured I could really see a jump in my score if I hammered the AMC content for, like, a month. And it ultimately ended up working out. Like, I got my goal score, which was, like, so, like, an amazing experience and um it was just such like a like exponential curve in terms of the growth like I feel like the beginning it was just so slow and painful and then at the end when I really started to get into the groove of it it like shot up so I would just say for people that are studying like if something's not working like try to assess what's not working. Like if you can't focus, like try to find a a better way to go about things. Maybe you're really more into practice questions than just reading textbooks. Like it just depends on your own personal learning style, but um, like hold, like there's hope, like don't, don't like, don't get discouraged if your score goes down because you know, you're going to see improvement over time if you keep at it. So that is, that was my whole journey. I know that was kind of long, but (laughs) no, that was so helpful. And Also, like, something that I had forgotten is that you did, like, that when you were trying to debate whether to, like, postpone your MCAT or not. I kind of remember that. And, like, I I think – I don't – I've shared this, like, on my social media 
media before, but like I postponed my test the very first time I took the MCAT too. And like, I think it's really like more common than people maybe like talk about that. Um, and I think the reason for it is because people people like spend too much time doing content review and then when they finally get to the AAMC stuff like they don't have enough time to actually like learn it and like grasp it and understand what's going on um so I it sounds like you kind of also had that experience too where you were like okay I'm like near my goal score but now like the AAMC material like I I need to actually like give myself some time to learn it and like learn what's happening with it yeah, because the AMC material is the material that's going to be the most relevant. It's going to be the most, like, similar to what you're actually going to see on test day. But you, most people save it for last because you want to have that be a very accurate assessment of your final kind of, um, your final, um, what's the word? <laughs> I'm blanking. Your, your final. Your final like, assessment? Or your final, like knowledge base like how like how you want oh. to be at the very end of like all of your studying you want to see like that assessment at the end yeah you know like going into your test this is very accurate in terms of what I'm going to do how I'm going to do on this test so I think um that's why it's a little tricky because you have to like manage all the time before then like in a very reasonable way and then you start AMC like usually a month or a month and a half before you start your test yeah so I think something else I just want to like cover the MCAT, like the, the common questions I get because you're like way more like recently have taken it than I have. So it sounds like UWorld is a must, you know, AAMC is a must. And then you, you did Anki and it sounds like a lot of people do that. I don't know if it's like a must, but it seems like it's the trend that a lot of people do it. Taking an MCAT course – how do you feel about that? Do you think people should take it, should not take it? Yeah, I I would say that um, UWorld and AAMC are definitely things that are, like, ranked the absolute highest for me. And then um, Anki, I would say if I had to go back and do it again, I might not make my own flashcards because the decks that are out there are really nice and at the time, I didn't really know how to use Anki. It was my first time, so it just felt more comfortable for me to just make my own deck because I could, like, have more control over it. But mm-hmm. I feel like I could have saved a lot of time if I found a deck that was, like, super comprehensive. I've heard, like, Miles Down, Jack Sparrow, just to name a few, are, like, very, very comprehensive in terms of the materials. So, And it would probably have saved me a lot of time in content review. So I'll just put that out there for people that are thinking of doing that. But making your own cards is also super beneficial. So it just depends on your learning style again. In terms of the um, prep courses, I feel like there's certain situations where you would need a prep course or not need a prep course that you would consider a prep course. And then there's certain situations where you don't need one. So um, some people like doing prep courses because it holds them more accountable to studying. I'd say that this is is one possible reason you could sign up for one. It's just so expensive that I feel like the accountability is going to have to come from within at some point. Like the prep yeah. courses are not, they're only going to teach you some content, some trick tips and tricks, you know, like things that you could really find out online or through, you know, 
like Kaplan books and, and YouTube videos. I just feel like for the price that you have to pay, it doesn't really make sense to do it for accountability. But I know some people are like, I need someone to tell me to do this. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. Like, that's fine to get you into like the swing of things. But you will definitely need your own like internal accountability by the time you're taking practice tests and like making your own schedule. So like you can use it as like a momentum building kind of accountability device, but only if you have like the extra funds to do that. Um, I'd say that if you haven't taken um, a lot of the MCAT courses, some people will say, okay, yeah, like if you haven't taken like two to three of the like prereqs that are on the MCAT, then it might be good to take a prep course. But I feel like there are some prereqs that you might just say, hey, I haven't taken, you know, I feel like biochemistry is a pretty big one. Like if I haven't taken biochemistry, like I'm just gonna take the MCAT without it. I'd, I'd say probably just like take the MCAT later and just take the biochem class beforehand instead of doing a prep course. But it also just, it's very, it's a very personal decision and um, depends on your own finances as well. So um, just keep that in mind. But I do think so many of the resources that they provide can be found like online or through open open source Anki decks U world is obviously not free but U world versus a prep course I would much rather play pay for U world yeah no I agree with what, like everything that you said 100% and when you say like found for free online do you mean like through like reddit on like mcat reddit or like where where do the pre-meds nowadays go for <laughs> the the up-to-date stuff yeah well, all of the Anki decks that I mentioned, or the both of them, are free on Reddit, so you can just download them. They have, like, essentially all the MCAT knowledge you need to know for the test. However, some of that might not make any sense to you if you haven't, like, had a course in that material. So YouTube is where I would go second to supplement all of the um, content reviews. So the two main ones I used when I was studying for the MCAT was... Khan Academy, mostly for the psych social section, which was actually my lowest score until my actual test, which was my highest score, which was hmm. very weird, but it was because I was just drilling psych social at the end of it, at the end yeah. of the thing. Um, so I used their videos along with this 85 page document that someone made to um, like, it's basically like a transcript of the videos. So I would just be able to like review like at night, just this, what the videos were about. Um, and then I also watched AK lectures, which such a, like, so great for biochemistry. I know he has other subjects on there as well. I think physics, um, it goes a little bit more in detail, more in depth than you need to know for the MCAT, but it just gives you such an amazing picture. He, he like basically writes on a whiteboard and just like, it's very visual and I'm a very visual learner. So it was perfect for me to just watch. Like, I think I watched it for like a lot of the electron transport chain stuff. And I was like, oh wow, like Krebs cycle, stuff like that, where I was like, oh, I need to review this and like have, see how the whole big picture fits together. He's really good at that. Um, so yeah, those are the two like YouTube channels that I use the most often to supplement. And then I use the Kaplan books just to like read but those aren't for you you'd have to like buy them from someone or online yeah no that makes sense I use the Khan Academy psych so stuff too when I was studying and the AK lectures I haven't heard of that but I'm glad that you're you're letting everyone know about that and also like 
the whole Krebs cycle, electron transport chain, like don't let it disappear because you're going to have to know it again very soon when you start medical school. Um, So thumbs up for that. So excited. (laughs) Okay. So now that I feel like we've covered the MCAT and we can say goodbye, RIP to the MCAT forever. Um, Let's move on to talking about... medical students struggling with writing a personal statement, having the worst writer's block and don't know where to start, want to make sure you write a personal statement that stands out? I have great news for you. My own personal statement landed me eight medical school interviews and I put all my knowledge into a free training all about how to write a unique medical school personal statement. Head to my website www.heykellyellen.com and click on the words free personal statement training to watch the video today. It's free, so what are you waiting for? The actual application process and cycle. So let's let's talk about um, the actual application um itself like the personal statement and the extracurricular activities descriptions um how did you approach writing those like did you start to look up things online did you have a pre-med advisor at school who was helping you let everyone know what you did Yeah, so I was very lost when I first started doing the personal statement and the application. Um, In general, I was just like, I'm not really, it just seems like such a big challenge. Um, At at the time, it just felt like a lot of work. And I was like, I don't know where to start. So I actually, the first place I started was I talked to you. I was like, I don't know (laughs) where to start. (laughs) Um, So yeah, honestly, talking to people that have been through the process and maybe even asking them to see their personal statement or get example personal statements is a good idea. Um, I did read all of Dr. Ryan Gray's books. Um, Yeah, super helpful. Yeah, so helpful. So I did that as well. Um, So that really gave me a good foundation. And then I wrote um, a first draft for my personal statement. And, you know, I sent it to my mom, I sent it to you. And um, it maybe I maybe I even sent you the third draft. Like, I don't even I think I was so embarrassed by the first draft. Oh, my God. I sent it to you. <laughs> um uh yeah so and then I realized I had to rewrite the whole thing because I was like oh my goodness like (laughs) this is not what I expected like this is a lot it's gonna take a lot longer than I thought it was um and thankfully you have a personal statement course now because like honestly Kelly saved my personal statement oh my god so like it was just so scattered and I, I knew what I wanted to say I was like it's such a big question. So the personal statement, if you don't know, for medical school is just basically like, why medicine? Like, why do you want to go into medicine? Which, you know, in theory is very, like, you think about it all the time, you're pre-med, you're doing all these activities, you're really loving the experience. And, or maybe you're not, I don't know. But like, (laughs) (laughs) for the most part, you're like having a good time and you want to like go to medical school. 
But it's so hard to articulate that because you've just had such a wide variety of experiences. So I was just trying to fit so many things into one personal statement. And it felt so stressful because at the time I was like, I don't know how to articulate this. And I want them to see, you know, my authentic self in this statement. It just feels very high stakes. So um, luckily I was able to have amazing people edit my personal statement, like my mom and you, and um, get to a point where I felt like after maybe like 10 or 15 drafts, like it genuinely took me months to do this personal statement where I felt like it you know, flowed very nicely and it, and it really captured my essence and what I was trying to say in terms of, um, why I wanted to go into medicine. And, um, I did rely like a lot on Dr. Ryan Gray's method where he said like, where, where, when did the seed get planted and then what watered the seed and then like, how did it sprout? I actually don't even remember what the last one is, but (laughs) something along those lines. (laughs) Yeah. While, um, and, Yeah. And then Kelly's edits like saved my personal statement as well. Cause she was saying like, Oh, I noticed that, you know, your whole first paragraph, isn't even about you. Like it's about someone else in your family that was like going through medical like issues. So like, how can we make this more about like what your um, reflection was on that experience and like what you offered to your family during that time? And that was, like, really valuable insight for me to ultimately, like, change my personal statement to a more, um, instead of, like, a passive voice, like, it felt more active, and I felt like I was actually, like, writing about me and not writing about other people. So, um, yeah, it was just, like, a very long back and forth process, and I finally was able to, like, get to a draft where, and I had my uncle read it, too, like, I had a bunch of family members read it, and, um, I don't know if I had any friends read it actually. Oh, I had one of my, I had my roommate read it at the time as well. So I just got a lot of viewpoints. I didn't take every single edit that came my way. That was something that I really wanted to like be um, very like mindful about. Mindful about. Thank you. I wanted to be very mindful of the fact that when people read my personal statement, they were going to give me a lot of feedback. And obviously I was sending it to a lot of people. So I'm going to get a lot of different feedback. So I definitely, like, told everyone, like, hey, especially my mom. I was like, oh, mom, like, I'm probably going to, like, take 70% of these, like, just to, <laughs> just to like, preface the, the editing process, um, just so it would still, like, my voice. And I really wanted it to sound like how I wanted it to sound and not, like, what other people thought of me, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was my process for personal statements. And um, also for the activities – I basically had a spreadsheet that I had all my activities in that I I didn't add to over the years. I should have. I should have been more, you know, I should have thought about ahead, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> so I just was doing a lot of calculations and trying to figure out how many hours I spent on things. And I had to pick which activities to include. And ultimately, I also sent my whole application to um, my pre-health advising office, which was something that I want to tell the world because I know a lot of people say they have really bad experiences with pre-health advising, and that is very valid, and I feel like it really is dependent on the advisor and the school, obviously, and um, I would just caution pre-meds from like having a very negative view of a pre-health advising office before even going to it. Like, maybe just check it out if they seem like they're very, you know, if they're not supportive, then just don't go back. But if you're able to check it out, 
maybe don't just like completely sideline it before you've ever ever been because I did that where I didn't go to my pre-health advising um, office for like three years. And then my last year when I was actually applying, I contacted them and they edited my whole personal state, my whole application for free. And wow. it, their edits were really great. So I feel like, and that, that was UC Berkeley. And I was, you, even as an alumni, you, they edit your application. So even if you've graduated, just like check back with your institution and see if they offer free personal statement or like application editing. So yeah, that yeah. was a good process for me. Thank you for, for breaking that all down. Um, first <laughs> of all, I want to say that like, thank you for your, your kind words about my editing skills and my personal oh, statement, good. of course. I appreciate it. And I want to say that also like you are you are not alone when it comes to writing your personal statement as a pre-med. Like I pretty much see that mistake or one of the other common mistakes like in every personal statement that I edit. So it doesn't mean that you are like dumb or like a bad writer. It's just like it's a skill to learn how to actually like write a personal statement for medical school specifically. And then also I think like you mentioned, like you sent it to like your mom and like maybe some other friends. But like you have to also realize like they've never written a personal statement for medical school before. And like obviously they're they're probably going to have some good suggestions, but you have to like also maintain like – your own voice and like make sure that you actually are writing it from an authentic place. Um, And then when you touched about your pre-health advisor situation, I um, actually really like that you had like a positive experience with it. I didn't have a, we didn't have a pre-health advisors at UCLA when I went there. I don't know if that's changed, but I mean, I think these people like they're getting paid literally gets their job to advise pre-med students. So sometimes you could have bad experiences, like totally valid, but also like it's free. So why not try it out? Like there's literally no harm (laughs) in just trying. Yeah. And oftentimes there's like more than one advisor. So if you have a bad experience with one, you could always just go to the other and see if it's better. And then like stick, like I, I didn't have a bad experience with one, but I had a really good experience with one of two of them. And I just always signed up for her afterwards. I was like, okay, we're just going through this process together now. Like it's the two of us against the world. Like (laughs) she was so nice to me. And I was like, okay, this is, and obviously like it does, it's very variable. So I'm just saying this from my own perspective. I know I, I don't want to invalidate people that have had really bad experiences because I've heard so many bad experiences that I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like that's terrifying. Totally. Totally. Like it's, it's no fun to have someone like tell you like, oh, like your dream is invalid, like, or your career is invalid. Like, um, okay, that's not helpful. Like you're supposed to be my advisor and like helping me get to my dream or get to my career. Um, and then also I realized I said that it's for free, but honestly it's not like you're paying for it through your tuition. So like you should use it because you actually are paying for it. So, um, probably misspoke there. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, we literally have covered so much. So the last thing that I want to talk about, um, oh, qu- quickly before we move on to interviews, letters of rec. Yes. Um, what was the process of getting your letters of rec? And like, um, I know it's like really stressful for a lot of pre-meds, especially when they go to like a really big school where they maybe like don't know their professors that well. Like, did you have that experience? Like, what was that process like? Yeah. So for letters of rec, I kind of made a list of people that had been 
supportive of me in the past and also people that were just in very like advisory roles for me in undergrad and I will say most of the people that I asked were from upper division classes so I didn't I don't even one of my professors was my like Armenian professor so I'd had her like for four years so that's technically all four years but I think all the other ones were from like either I think I had one lower division class but then everyone else was upper division so I just want to like tell people that if you feel like you don't have a good relationship with your gen chem professor like it's okay (laughs) yeah same like I don't I did not either yeah it's very rare to have that unless you like TA for them or something later on down the road like that also obviously you're gonna want to make some sort of connection with them in the future um don't worry like too much about you know making a connection or if you need like a scholarship letter of rec sometime your sophomore year or something like obviously you're gonna need to go to their office hours and um make some sort of um connection but yeah so I basically the beginning of my um senior year I want to say like January February I started asking uh, a few professors I asked um my research PI who also happened to be a professor of mine in the past and then um a a clinician that I was working for I had I tried to have uh, like a wide variety of types of letters of rec writers because I knew um a lot of schools had different requirements for letters of rec like some will require two science professors and a humanities professor minimum or like only two science professors and a humanities like it it varies based on the school so that's something that you can check with MSAR which is the um like school gen it tells you all the information about the medical schools um so I just kind of asked around to see who would be interested in or not interested but who would want to write me a letter of rec and um I was able to ask um a lot of the people that I had had some sort of um, mentor, mentor, mentee relationship with usually in the last few years of undergrad. Like, I don't think I asked, like, like I said, mostly upperclassmen uh, yeah. classes. Um, yeah. And I used Interfolio, um, which is like an online dossier to store the confidential letters of rec. So I would have them by the time I was applying. And I only did that because I was applying to, I did both Texas and AMCAS. So I was like, I don't want to have them do all of this sending around I think it'd be easier if I just sent it myself through Interfolio yeah Interfolio is what I use too and it's just like so much like it's just so easy especially like if you're gonna ask like someone to write it like but right before it's due like it's just nice to have a place to store it confidentially without like having to worry about it so basically like what I learned from like your experience with letters of rec is like One, you ask professors that maybe you had, like, a long-term relationship with, like, your Armenian one. And then, two, you focused on, like, the upper division classes where you felt like you could actually, like, stand out and, like, not be, like, one of, like, 300 students. But you actually could, like, stand out and, like, get to know your professors. So I think, like, for anyone who's, like, a freshman listening, like, just know that, like, when you're going to – approach like your last two years like the classes do get smaller and you do have like more opportunities to actually like connect with your professor professors I think definitely and I will say that um 
like asking someone sooner rather than later is always nice. You can ask a professor right after you finish a class with them for a letter of rec for maybe a scholarship or something. So you at least have their letter of rec ready to go. And then so they kind of remember you as well. And then if you don't see them for a few years and then you're applying to medical school, you can say, hey, like, would you mind updating the letter of rec? So that way they have something to work with where they remember you. Um, that was something I did for one of my professors where I was like, oh, like, as I just happened to need a scholarship letter of rec, but then also like a medical school one of later on. That's so, super without- smart. I've never heard of that like advice. Like I've never thought of that. That's really smart for sure. This is why you're the smarter cousin. Oh, my um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's move on to like the last topic, which is the whole inner. Hey, I'm so excited to announce an amazing giveaway that I'm running on the Honest MD podcast. You can win my course, the Medical School Personal Statement Bootcamp, all about how to write a medical school personal statement. The course is valued at $147 and you can win it for free. All you have to do to be eligible to win is leave a review of my podcast, The Honest MD, take a screenshot before you hit submit, and then send me the screenshot on my Instagram, heykellyellen, or email me the screenshot at heykellyellen at gmail.com. Good luck! Review process for medical school. So you you applied, um, you used the MSR to make your list, and now you started getting interviews. Exciting! but also stressful because now you have to prepare for them. <laughs> so what did you do to prepare for your interviews? Um, I will, I'll start off by saying I feel like my interview preparation process was very imperfect. Like I feel like I see people online saying like, oh, I prepared like a month out, blah, blah, blah. Like I felt very scattered with it. I was like, oh my God. Like it's, it's just really a nerve wracking experience because yeah. you, especially the first one because you just – really want to get in like there's there's if you only have one as well like it's just like it feels very high stakes so it feels I felt very like overwhelmed with the interview process so I just want to put that out there so if you're feeling like that as well like just don't worry like it, it it gets a little better once you've done like one but um yeah so I was not super methodical about it but Something that did help me kind of get into the groove was I used something called biginterview.com. It's a website. It's free for Berkeley students. It is, it costs money if you're not a Berkeley student. So I will kind of explain what it does so you can just do this on your own. But you, it basically just has prompts with like an, an interviewer, like a video, like a recorded interviewer asking you a question. You answer the question. It records you. You can answer as many times as you want. And it uses AI to actually track like your eye movement and your speech, your level of vocabulary. It just analyzes your interview response. It's a very like fancy way of just saying it tells you how good of a response it was. Yeah. You don't need that. Like you can just open your camera app on your laptop, especially if it's an online interview, just practice in like an online environment. And 
record yourself answering. Usually it's the, the three main ones you should, you should have just already know is the tell me about yourself, why medicine, and then why blank school. So like, why do you want to go here? Essentially, I drilled those in for a lot of it. And then at my first interview, they didn't ask a single one of those. So that was really fun. But <laughs> it was, it was good to have that practice. And I did use it later on down the line. So it worked out. But those were the three ones I drilled. And then I had like, I just looked on student doctor network for common interview questions from the school I was applying. And they honestly, like, were pretty good, I feel like, really good ones to prepare. And I also, um, let me think, I, I did that. And I, for MMMI, MMI, there's not threes, there's only two, <laughs> MMI interviews, I had one. Um, I was pretty concerned about like the ethical situations just because like I, I didn't know if there was going to be a patient in the room or if it was going to be. It's just very lots of moving parts in those types of questions. Um, so I read a book that was recommended. I, I tried to read some of it. I didn't get through the whole thing on like different ethical situations. I don't remember what it is exact, exactly called, but I'm pretty sure if you just look up like MMM, MMI ethical like situation medical school interview book it's the first one that comes up yeah probably yeah so I read that which was pretty helpful honestly um the situations they give they gave in that were a lot more complicated than the ones I actually had in my MMI but that was just my experience um yeah so I kind of just did a combination of all of that and just read up about the school and the programs um I tried to actually talk to a few students at the school that I had like known through certain weird connections, like three, you know, different <laughs> network connections, like very distant people that I um, barely knew. Um, and they were super helpful because they, you know, maybe they like could tell you a little bit more about the student life or like the student culture. I feel like that you could do. I, I messaged people on LinkedIn and, and had them email me. Answers Dang, look at you networking. You know, I tried. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't work for one of the, <laughs> for one of the schools that I did that for, but that's okay. Like it was good practice. Um, and yeah, so I just kind of was trying to get creative with it. Cause I was just so overwhelmed that I was like, Oh my gosh, like, what do I do? I've never done this before. Um, so yeah, those are some ideas for people if they want to do some creative interview prep. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like you did like a lot of like the common things and also like really good things with interviewing um, prep, like just first of all, like getting familiar with common questions and how to answer it and then practicing actually like doing it out loud, like with the software that you had. That's really important. Um you know, a lot of people do mock interviews. Did you ever do like an official one? Yes. I forgot to say that with my pre-health advising. Um, oh practice, yeah. It was free. So check that out. If you go to UC Berkeley, free, free Perfect. mock interviews. Okay. So mock interviews, like I pretty much like a hundred percent recommend that you do a mock interview, like preferably with someone that you like don't really know very well. Um, just to kind of like replicate the like anxiety of like, it, like answering questions in front of someone you don't know because like when you do it in front of like your parent like it's not the same like you're not going to be nervous in front of them um still practice with them like or a friend or whoever but I do think having a mock interview like with a pre-health advisor is super helpful or you know a company um 
And yeah, all the rest of your advice is really good, like just in terms of actually like seeing if you can find like a medical student who goes there. Like that obviously is like not going to happen maybe at every school, but it can be super helpful because they can like they can tell you a little bit about what the actual school is like that you can that you really can't get like on the website. Um, okay. Wow. We covered so much today. I honestly like at the beginning of this, I was like, we're going to cover this, 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 and this. And then we were like, I don't think we're going to get to it all, but we did. We got to it all. Surprise. <laughs> this is like going to be perfect for like any pre-med out there who literally like, it could be perfect for like anyone who's like literally like a freshman, like just starting, or like you're about to actually like go through the application cycle like soon. Um, so thank you like times a million for coming on and talking all about the common pre-med struggles and the process. Can you let everyone know where they can find you and follow you and send you messages and ask you questions? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. This was very fun. I really just reliving the pre-med experience who doesn't want to do that you know (laughs) 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 so no it it was really really fun um yeah you can find me at it's claire jean on instagram and tiktok that's pretty much all i have right now um just trying to post more about the pre-med journey so people can you know know more about it and be less scared about it and less overwhelmed and providing some creative solutions to you know some of these common hurdles in the pre-med journey as well. Definitely. And you're about to start medical school like so soon, which is really (laughs) exciting. And I think also is exciting for anyone out there who like wants to see what medical school is like, like literally like just starting it, like documenting like what it's like to go through that. It's going to be exciting. I'm very, very excited for you to see your whole journey through medical school and everything. And thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Of course. Bye. Bye. For my favorite part of the episode where I sit down with my boyfriend Jarrett and we talk about topics that you want us to cover as a couple in medicine. Wow, we have a lot to talk about today. That we do. We so much has happened since we last recorded our episode and it's only been like a week. (laughs) Yeah, match day was the big one. Match day happened. And basically, if you don't know what match day is, it is the day that you find out where you are going for residency after you finish medical school. And it's this big celebration at schools across the country because everyone finds out at exactly the same time. And they give you your match in an envelope and you open it in front of your friends and family. And you have to react like you're happy no matter what it is. (laughs) Yeah, actually, like more than half of people don't get their first choice. But I feel like everyone posts like all the happy videos and stuff. But we were really happy because we're staying in Arizona. We like it here. 
Yeah, we really like it here, and I'm so happy that, like, we finally know that we're going to yeah, be in Arizona. the most bizarre method of <laughs> getting a job I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just, I feel for anyone who has to go through this process, especially with, like, a significant other, like, you kind of drag them through the process, too. Yeah, I feel very dragged. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So... We basically had like nine months of literally stress about where we were going to be for the next four yeah, years I mean, of our lives. It started when you started doing interviews. Yeah. And you're applying to them before you even hear back, you know? Exactly. Like, I decide, would we be okay here, you know? Yeah. And uh, then you only hear back from, what, 10% about. Yeah. Like, you apply to a ton and then you only hear back from certain programs and some of them are you know, maybe programs that you like, some of them you don't like, some of them are city are in cities that you never imagined yourself living in before. Yep. And then you rank them all. And you rank them and tell them how long it took us to decide how well, to rank them. We had the a rough draft of our list, like, as it was, as you were doing your interviews, but that yeah. list didn't get submitted until the day it was due because every single day it'd be discussing, like, oh, but what about this and what about this? And... Oh, I just, I had a bad feeling after that interview and blah, blah, blah. It, it, there's so much that goes into it. And you also take into consideration, what are my chances of matching here? Let me look at the previous people that have been accepted into this program. And does that bode well? Exactly. Like, it, you have a better chance of matching somewhere that has taken applicants from your school before. Mm-hmm. And we are really happy that we're in Arizona still and don't have yeah. to, like, move somewhere that we've never been before. Like, yeah. somewhere we're also completely happy that you new. matched just in general. Yeah, too. I was not, like, it's just, like, I, going into it, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I'll match. Like, I'm a good applicant. But when you actually go through the process, like, so many doubts and, like, fears, like, come into your mind. Like, the worst-case scenario always oh, plays yeah. in your and head. There, there were, like, records of people not matching at your school this year because of all the effects that COVID had on, yeah. on your class without showing certain grades and trying to be fair to everybody. Uh, there, there was a lot of people that didn't match, unfortunately. Yeah, at my school and at other schools, too, like, across the country. Like, it, it was kind of just wild. Like, I think our, like, class, you know, even at my school and at other schools kind of got affected by COVID. And the virtual interview process and only being able to do one away rotation it was it was a hard year to match into like not even competitive specialties but even like middle tier specialties too Mm -hmm. so very happy i matched very happy we're going to be in arizona but now we've got a crunch timeline for moving and doing the most adultiest things we've ever done (laughs) buying a home (laughs) we're adulting so hard right now like and it sucks (laughs) (laughs) oh it's bad enough you know trying to buy your first home and navigate this you know marketplace right now too because it's a seller's market things are crazy and interest rates are inflating and it's bad enough to try and traverse this but to do it in less than two months you know really puts the pressure on you know it does and it's not like I just have like two months of a vacation like I literally still have rotations like I'm still in medical school for the next two months and have to go to my rotations every day and 
Jarrett's still working, too. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a friend that matched somewhere uh, nearby, and when they were trying to find out a place to buy and to live uh, in the same area, they couldn't make the trip down. They had to have the realtor do everything for them. Yeah. Even the final inspection, you know. It, it, you're super busy as a medical student finishing up your fourth year. You are really busy, and, like, especially if you're moving across the country, which, like, thankfully we're not moving, like, coasts or anything, you uh, you don't really get, like, a ton of time off to travel and, like, find out where you're going to be living until after you graduate, honestly. And by then, like, you better have it figured out soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we literally called a realtor today for the first time. Yep, and a home loan agency to be approved. And it's just, I feel like when I was a kid and I thought about getting a home one day, like I thought that I would be so smart and like have everything figured out. And I'm like, how did this happen so fast? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the worst time to be buying a home. But it is. I mean, it's. I feel like it's just going to get worse. Yeah, the realtor was like, Oh, well, a couple years ago it was good, but mm-hmm. nowadays <laughs> we're like, we don't have a choice. I'm sorry. Like, I'm on. It's, yeah, it's, it's get a home or rent an apartment for four years and just throw that money away. Yeah. So, adulty decisions. Adulty decisions. And then not all of our life is going to be stressful because we're also trying to plan a vacation right now, too. Ooh. Woo! I honestly think everyone should take a vacation after you graduate med school. and even you, you got a gap. You might as well do it. Take yeah. advantage of it. You're not going to get much time off when you start residency. No, you literally have your assigned time off in residency. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to take a two-week vacation whenever I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that doesn't, that's not how a job works. <laughs> yeah, so we're hoping to go international, maybe Europe someplace. Yeah. We really want to go somewhere well i want to go somewhere with like a beach or like something can't go wrong with a beach yeah something like that but we're still planning it right now and trying to figure out where to go what what flights are reasonable and also uh if it works with the time that i have off too yeah more adulty things even when taking a vacation (laughs) yeah because it's like you have to plan the vacation too like that's another plan like it takes a long time to actually figure out where you're going and where you're staying and Mm -hmm. all of that jazz and that's that's the update right now those are the big things we're working on yeah and the podcast seems to be rolling along. You're doing all right. It's rolling. I am excited that I like I've had this idea for a long time and it's really exciting that I have dragged her into it too because I feel like it makes it a lot more fun too when he can help. Because we get to do it together. Yeah. You get to throw off your producing responsibilities <laughs> onto me. <laughs> yeah, I just say please please edit the podcast. <laughs> Because you're better at it than me. Mm-hmm. You have that talent, especially when it comes to audio recording and stuff yes, like that. I like speakers and sound systems and recording. So yeah. 
So anyways, I know a lot of people on my Instagram have been asking me, like, what do you do after you graduate med school or after you find out that you match? Like, what happens next? There you go. That's what we're doing right now. You panic buy a house and move (laughs) across the country. (laughs) And on that note, we'll see you next week. Honest MD. (laughs) How's that one? Better? That's, we're going to have to work on that. No, I like it. Thank you so much for tuning into the Honest MD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, I want to tell you about three ways you can support the show and keep the Honest MD going. Number one, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You literally just have to hit the subscribe button. It's that easy. Number two, take a screenshot of this episode on your phone sharing what you loved about the episode and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at HeyKellyEllen. And lastly, number three, leave a review. This is the ultimate way to support the Honest MD. You can write something short and sweet like, I love this show, or something longer about things you have learned or appreciated about this podcast. I am not kidding when I say that I read every review and it means so much to me. The more reviews we have means the higher we rank on the podcast algorithm, which means bigger and better guests and episodes. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. Thank you.